This is Work Perks Podcast, Episode 4, with me, Brian McCammon. So this week's episode is the second in a series of interviews with corporate executives, this time with co-CEO of Career Attraction, Kevin Kerms. Now, Kevin has a fascinating and really a fantastic background. We get an opportunity in this conversation to learn more about career attraction, what they do, the role that perks play, and really how to stay in front of your competitors when it comes to keeping great talent in today's hyper-competitive marketplace. Well, good morning, Kevin. Good to see you. Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy Monday. Happy Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, really excited that you're able to join us for this week's episode. Um, I know we've chatted quite a bit in the past. Very impressed with your organization. Uh, very impressed with your resume as well. Um, I know we've got a, a bunch in common, so we'll try to stay as focused as right. we can. Uh, <laughs> in lieu of trying to steal any thunder from uh, introducing or, or trying to tell the audience you know, more about career attractions, I want to leave that up to you. So please tell us a little bit about yourself, your organization, uh, you know, the, how everything came to be. Uh, and I'll just turn the floor over to you and we can start talking. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, as an organization, we work with high achievers uh, who are looking to land six-figure roles. And, and we take that and we define that a, a step further in six-figure roles that they love. Um, so we work with clients one of two ways. We uh, typically work with folks who've got maybe 20, 25 years experience who are, are getting hung up somewhere. Um, typically, the, the place and the space that we play in is between their ears to figure out what's breaking down. What is it that was working that's now not working? How can we help them get out of their own way? Uh, and then the same thing with individuals looking to break into their first six-figure role and figure out what's really holding them back. And also, on top of that, where can we help them amplify their success and maybe accelerate things and get there a little bit faster than they would have on their own? Lost your audio. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> I outsmarted myself. That's all right. <laughs> it happens. It's, it's Monday, right? Uh, so how did, tell us a little bit about how Career Attraction came about. I mean, you shared now where the company is, what you're doing, uh, who you're working yeah. with, but what, what was the genesis of this? Yeah, no, great question. So um, if I go all the way back, I was, a, I was a, an infantry officer in the Army. Um, got out and just stumbled into headhunting and did that for an international search firm for about two and a half, almost three years, and then decided to go out on my own um, and subsequently built and sold to boutique search firms. At, at the end of, well, towards the end of 2008, I was doing some planning with my business partner at the time in, in the last search firm I was in. And we were, uh, we were talking, I'll just kind of, fast track it. We were talking about our exit strategy, which at that point in time, I was 38 and I'm 50 now. And our plan was to sell the company by the time he was 50. And I I think he's about a year older than me, maybe a year or two or older. And I kept thinking, I'm like, wow, another 10 years of this. Um, I don't think I want to do this for another 10 years. And then when I really sat with that, I thought, I'm not really sure I even want to be doing this now. I think, I think I'm done. I think, I think I'm just done. And we had just gone through some planning where, you know, your typical planning in a search firm is metrics driven. You want to bill more, you either raise your prices, you execute more searches, whatever. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. I mean, you pretty much summed up on a spreadsheet. But one of the things that I brought up with them is I said, hey, I'm looking at all of our clients from last year. And there are clients that we love working with. And let's be honest, there's some clients that when the phone rings, we're like, man, <laughs> right? We, and we've all been there. I said, how, how, do, how do we get more clients that we love. And um, it's funny to use that language now because it's so, it's so core to what the work that we do. And I, and I wasn't thinking about it in those terms. So anyway, fast forward, I, I use that same framework as I was sitting there thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a headhunter anymore. But I don't know what else I can do. And I also knew from the short period of time, there's about a year in between selling my first firm and starting the second one that I went back to work for someone and great group of people, awesome group of people. But what I came to realize is I'm not wired to go back and work for anybody. I've, I've got the entrepreneurial 
bug, you know, whatever gene DNA, and I, and I need to, I need to stay out on my own. So, um, long and the short of it was, as I looked at and I went through what it is that I really, and I, and I encourage everybody to do this, particularly when you find yourself at these waypoints, looking at what it is that I enjoyed doing, what I realized was I, I enjoyed kind of decoding and deciphering what was happening in the search for that time we were working with highly trained software sales executives. So these guys were making anywhere from like 250 to a million a year. And I was just blown away at how they didn't understand the game that was being played around them when they were looking for roles. And I just decided that's, that's what I think I want to do for right now. This is what I want to do. I want to start helping people execute their search like a headhunter. That's how I described it in 2008. And from there, you know, we've just, we've, we've, we've grown, we've gotten way more into performance coaching and, and like I said, playing in the space between your ears, um, which, which really is where things are won and lost. Absolutely. That's really interesting. Um, the, the commentary around some of those high performers or high earners, um, you know, and how they're, they're kind of naive to what's going on around them. I'm sure, uh, I know I can count myself in that category that when it comes to looking for jobs, I've only done it a few times in my, uh, you know, 16 year career. Uh, but it's, it, you don't really know where to start. Uh, so that's, it's really interesting that, that that's the path that you took. Um, you know, you mentioned the growth where, like about how big is career attraction today? How many people are on your team? Yeah. So we've got, uh, nine people on our team plus an intern, uh, and then we're a, we're, you know, a low end seven figure business on track. Well, our on track plan for 2020 was to break eight figures, but <laughs> I think there are a lot of plans, <laughs> a lot of visions people had for 2020 that have ended up a little bit differently. Um, so, so 2020 for us, like, like most people, um, I, I wouldn't say it's been a story of survival as much as it's been making the decision on how we're going to thrive and maybe defining that a little bit differently than, than simply on a P and L. Um, so that, and, and that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm weighing my words because even this past week, you know, we had, we had some shifts at our company that um, are always, to me, they're always a reflection of where you need to grow and where you are. Like I'm, I'm very fond of a, a statement, at least as of late, of the universe doesn't give you what you want. It gives you what you are. So when you look at things shifting, going, going all the way back to 2008 and even before that, of like I've got these clients that, that, I, that I'm not really wild about, but I've got some clients that I am. Well, what decisions are you making and how are you showing up that it's okay? Because let's be honest, if you have clients you don't like, the only reason they're there is because you accepted them, right? So like I, you, yeah. you got to, and if, and if you don't own that, then there's a whole, whole litany of things beyond that you're not owning that I guarantee you are showing up. But I am a, I know we talked about this, about Jocko Willink and his podcast and the concept of extreme ownership. And that's something I learned very early in the infantry. And I, and I, I believe it to my core, you're responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen. That's it. So when you focus on that, you start to bring your focus in from all these things on the outside that you have no control over and truly focusing on the things you can control. Um, you know, your decisions, how you show up, uh, how you choose to lead. And, and that, that's the byproduct of what shows up in your life and, and also what doesn't. You're spot on. <clears throat> and it's, again, it's, it's very intriguing commentary. I think we've seen it uh, play out over the last several months of companies that were able to make the pivot and change and grow and expand. And, uh, it, uh, it's very, very telling. So thank you for sharing that. You know, as, as we think about 2020 and we know that that's thrown a lot of people's plans, uh, into a bit of a wrench, I'm curious to talk about, uh, the direction that career attraction was headed as it relates to culture, uh, you know, and, and the organization, what kind of pivots that you saw yourself starting to make and needing to make, in order to stay relevant here in 2020? Yeah, so <clears throat> the big one that comes to mind is particularly when the stay-at-home order came out and, and I 
and I'm seeing it maybe to a lesser extent right now, but but still like a, a, an inflection point again when we're going back to school. Like I just took my son who's starting first grade back to school today, um, and and that here, you know, we're both here on the west coast of Florida, is is a little bit different than clients or even team members of ours who are in the Northeast, um, out in California. Every everybody has a different experience with this, right? Which which I think particularly when we're a 100, we've always been a 100% virtual and remote team. Uh, the experience that every individual is having, there's the experience that you have as an organization and then the experience that everybody's having individually. And it's really required to, we're, I consider us to be a very tight team. We're very close. We are very open with one another. Um, it's required leaning into that but also doing that same thing and showing up like that for clients. And this is where I was going with the stay at home order versus uh, going back to school is what that was doing to shake people's certainty around being able to find that next six figure role. So for our flagship program where we're working with, you know, executives and executive level and, and C-suite level individuals, um, they're not immune to the language out there of no one's hiring. Look at unemployment. Look at, you know, and and reminding them that <clears throat> I think it's I gosh, I think it's I can't remember if it's if it's Jefferson or who it was that or Franklin that that shared this comment. Um, or maybe it's neither one of them, but <laughs> it is that the the level of thinking that's required to hold two opposing thoughts, right? So think about it, not the difference between saying people are hiring or people are letting go, the economy is expanding or the, or the economy is contracting versus companies are hiring and companies are firing. There are opportunities that are going away. There are opportunities that are being created, the and versus or, getting away from or versus but. We've all heard this saying, you know, the truth comes oh, yeah. after the but. Oh, you'll, yeah. <laughs> you'll hear, you'll hear all, <laughs> all the message and then you just listen for but. And, um, and, that's, and that's the reality. And I, I think that that being able to, to, to show up and not only demonstrate that, but challenge clients to um, and, and also give them the space to be able to start stepping into that and, and paying attention to that a little bit more closely and how that's showing up for them, because this is, it's all about beliefs, right? So a belief drives our decision on how much uh, energy we're going to put behind something we're doing. That then determines the action we take. The action we take determines the result. The result feeds the belief. So if you don't believe that there are any companies out there hiring, what kind of inspired action are you going to take? How are you going to, how deliberately are you going to show up to start talking to CEOs or leaders in your industry about the problems that you solve and do they have those problems? Because I think one of the things we can all agree on right now is that there are a lot of problems and challenges and opportunities to be solved. So um, that, that for us, that was, that was one of the biggest challenges and it was, it was really amazing to see I wouldn't even say it was a challenge as much as it was an opportunity. And, and it was, it was mm -hmm. really cool to see how the, our community of clients stepped into that and stepped right into it and embraced it. And I mean, as early as last month, we we're averaging six interviews per person per month from clients. That's so, awesome. we, so we work with them over 90 days. So that's, that's 18 interviews in the last 90 days for most clients. I mean, some above, some a little bit below, right? Sure. Um, and it's, you know, for us, we don't just, we're not just focusing on these, these kind of touchy feely things, but we're also driven by them because we have, to, we have to measure what the success and the outcome is and we hold ourselves accountable to that too. I think what's really interesting is, you know, you're providing not only commentary for uh, job seekers uh, and really anyone to be able to say, you need to change the way that you think, you know, a problem is not always a problem. Like you, you said, it's an opportunity. Uh, we can see lots of businesses that are coming out of this and expanding, but you also, it's very interesting that you can apply that same thought process and you did to your team and their work. 
Um, you'd also mentioned that your team was remote before all of this happened. So I know that creating culture in a remote workplace can at times be somewhat challenging, but it's very interesting to hear that you're able to not only apply this thought process to the clients that you're working with to help them go out and be successful, but also to your team members. Uh, and it sounds as though, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds as though your team members really picked up on that and you know put the, the pedal to the metal, so to speak. Yeah. So no, they, they 100% did. I mean, I, I consider myself and I know my business partner, Olivia would say the same thing. I mean, I consider myself ridiculously fortunate to work with some truly amazing human beings who even in the midst of everything going on, and we've had a, a broad spectrum of, of across the board for everybody in this company of, um, uh, of kind of personal challenges in 2020 beyond the scope of just what, what COVID brought up and watching how everybody has stepped up at the same time, sometimes stepping up is saying, I need a little bit of space and I need to, I need to be able to breathe versus that I'm just going to lean into adrenaline and hammer through it because that's not sustainable. Um, right. And, and also having an environment where people feel comfortable enough to say that and not feel like they're going to be judged, um, which, which also requires from a leadership standpoint. And, and I'm, make no bones about it. Anybody who's listening or watching this, we've never spoken. I am not here coming down from the, from the mountain, <laughs> laying it all out. Because there, there are times where I, I'm, I'm struggling to, to not react, but to take more inspired right. action. And there are times when I, I will say, I think I do a really good job of that. And there's some times when I haven't done a great job of that. Um, it's one of the, it's one of the blessings of having a business partner uh, where you're able to, to keep each other in check. And that, and that requires keeping it real with one another. Um, but one of, the, one of the interesting things that I, I just personally believe is a, is a byproduct of what we do is that if we believe in everything that we're talking about from a mindset standpoint, from an energy standpoint, performance coaching, the, the, whole, the whole nine yards, is that um, we get to practice what we preach with one another. You know, team members can lean in on coaches. Coaches can lean in on each other. Um, we as leaders can can show up and 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 coach and provide insight and ask more powerful questions. Because uh, particularly in our industry, there's sometimes a perception that that the quote coaching is being able to be sort of the guru and, and give the right answers. Whereas I don't I don't believe that. I believe that good coaching is asking questions. It's asking to get like questions behind the question and really get at the right. heart of the question. Because to your point, every, everybody we work with has done this. They've executed a job search. Most of the people, if not all the people that we work with in our flagship program have not only executed a job search, but they've clearly done it pretty well because they're all really successful. Right. So why is it breaking down now? What's really going on? And, and, it's, and it's easy to go out and have a reaction and blame, blame the economy, blame age, blame, you know, insert whatever. That's, that's typically not it. I would say it's almost always not it. I'm, I, I hedge from the absolute, but I'm right there on the cusp. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, uh, when you think about, uh, you know, everything that we've always discussed, um, and when you think about uh, that same, you know, that extreme ownership mentality that Jocko yeah. has, uh, you know, it's what, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier in our conversation, what actions are you taking? Because the universe gives you, uh, you know, what you need at that immediate moment based on where you're at. So if you're looking to get to a level, what are you doing to start acting like that? And there's, those lines have shown up uh, and sort of thought process have shown up in, in books and philosophy, uh, pop culture movies. I always think of Boiler Room. There's a million great lines, uh, com comical lines out of that uh, classic movie, which, by the way, if no one's seen it, I strongly encourage you to go watch it. <laughs> uh, but it's really, it's really interesting, and I, I would have to agree with you, uh, you know, entirely. Um, you know, as, as we think about some of those obstacles, what's been, what's been some of the biggest challenges that your team and you have experienced when not only trying to grow uh, kind of on a couple fronts, right? Growing your business, growing your business footprint, but trying to scale that and still keep what career attraction offers 
really like keep control over that without growing too big? What's been some of those challenges? Yeah, good question. So as I, as I think about them, as they relate to, to this year, it is, um, it's disconnecting sometimes as a leader from where you thought you, and this is a really key word here, where you thought you should be versus where you are. And I had, I, I have a coach that one of the things, and, and actually a large part of what she works on with me is the incorporation and understanding of feelings and how feelings are showing up and driving decision-making. I mean, it's, it's just, it's one of a myriad of things to say that that's what Sherry does for me is like an oversimplification for anybody who's watched Billions um, and seen that show, Wendy Reeves, who's on there, who is kind of like inside the hedge fund, the, the, the psychologist, she, she is my Wendy, right? She's the one who can help me unpack what's really driving actions, reactions, and decision-making, which... Um, coming full circle back to what you're talking about before. Like if, if you're a performance coach and you don't have a coach and I've got two, <laughs> I'd really question how committed you are to your craft and what you do, because you would absolutely, particularly as a, as a business owner, you need, cause it, Olivia and I can keep each other in check, but fundamentally we have the same blind spots. We do. We, we don't have all the exact same blind spots, but but many of them we have. Sure. So, so that so that word I'll come back to it. That word should should is packed with with shame. I should have done this. I should have. Sherry has said to me several times, you know, if, if I could just um, wave a magic wand and get people to stop shooting themselves, that would be a, that would be like my gift too. And I I, I also love the alliteration in that, right? But yeah, but it's, it's true. And one of the things, and, and this is, this is not a, this is definitely not a, not a tactical kind of answer to the question. It's to me, it's like deeply strategic. One of the things that I've shared with my team is I said, okay, you know, it's great. Sherry's helped me eradicate the word should. And my, and my first, my first step was becoming aware of when it's coming up and when I'm saying it. I said, and then I got very, very crafty because I'm a, I am, I am a, I, I am really good at, at working the system, right? <laughs> I've learned that a long time ago. So and I do it with myself <laughs> where I catch myself saying should and I replace that word. But the fact of the matter is that's what's going on in my head and coming back from a belief standpoint, if that's the language I'm using in my head, irrespective of how I clean it up before it leaves my mouth, the, the, the impact's already been made, right? Those, those are the rippling effects. So it is, it's, it's stopping and becoming aware of when I go to use that word and not just correct it, but slow down and go, huh, what's, what's behind that is, are, are the decisions I'm making really decisions that are in the best interest? Or are they coming from a place of, I'm embarrassed that we're not where I, I expected us to be, or there's there's something there's something deeper behind that 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 let's be honest doesn't serve me which means if it doesn't serve me it's probably not going to serve anybody on the team and it sure as hell isn't going to serve our clients so now i'm getting out of alignment with showing up and doing what it is serving people at the highest level i'm a huge fan of the book go giver by bob berg somewhere here in my office and i can never remember the other guy that bob <laughs> the book with but but it's but it's a phenomenal book on the on the concept of you know whether you want to call it servant leadership or service mm -hmm. or what, whatever um but i i believe fundamentally at my core that that is the not only the best way to lead but if you want to show up in life and develop relationships that's what you do there's no there's no greater experience than somebody understanding who you are and what you're capable of and how you show up in the world than to be able to serve them and that's not subservient. It's just it's it service which who you are and what you do. I would totally agree. Uh, that that is one hundred percent the best way to operate in life. I have read the book as well. I have it somewhere in here, uh, and for the life of me, I don't remember <laughs> who the author is either. Um, but that's another fantastic and a quick. I feel so bad for. It, it, I always say Bob Berg, and I'm like. Oh, man. <laughs> 
Well, it's, it's, uh, and it, it, for those that haven't read it, it's a very, uh, very underrated read. And, and it, I don't believe it'll teach you necessarily anything you don't intuitively uh, or inherently already know, but it helps you bring that, those sort of lessons back to the forefront, um, which when we're talking a lot about sort of mindset mentality, um, you know, and, and what that means uh, can really help somebody a lot. Uh, Let's let's pivot a little bit. Let's let's talk a little bit about perks, right? And and so, you know, you're talking about, or you're excuse me, you're working with these very high powered uh, individuals. You mentioned software sales, C-suite. I mean, really anybody who is, for lack of a better term, you know, high powered. Um, have you ever come across situations where people can get distracted, you know, by the big shiny object, perhaps? Um, as they're looking at companies and they're saying, hey, look at what they offer, but perhaps that's compensating for something else. Uh, you ever run into that? Do you have any thoughts around how to be on the lookout for a situation where a company might be trying to mask uh, some culture that maybe isn't a good fit for someone based on what they're trying to offer? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's interesting you bring that up because it's something that um, when we first spoke, I was I was thinking about because we have never had a difficult time. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying this with any sense of ego. It's actually, it's, a, it's, a, it's an enormous challenge that we uncovered baked in something that you thought was like, you know, a, a, a phenomenal gift. And it, and it sort of is. And we've never had a difficult time finding people who wanted to come work for our company. Right. So sometimes we do through the interview process, find some people who it's like, we're not their cup of tea and got it. That's great. But what we have found conversely is that there are a lot of people who want to come to the company that aren't going to be a good fit and may be drawn in by some of those things that, that look appealing, like how open we are. Take, for example, if you are a professional development junkie, you would love our company. But the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people who are who have bought every program that Tony Robbins has put out, but they've never really done the work. And I was actually having this right. conversation with some neighbors the other day as we were, they were, one guy's like, I really don't understand what you do. And I was talking through it and I said, you know, and one of the other guys there is a veteran as well. And he's actually going through a very similar program with the VA right now that is, that is akin to what we do. It's not so much job search focused, but really helping them unpack and work through some stuff. And we were having a deep conversation about it. And I said, it's really painful sometimes. I said, that work, like it, you get in there, you start digging around and you've got to, he goes, yeah, there are times where I realize I really don't like myself very much. I'm like, I'm right there with you, brother. I said, I, I, I get it. And when you, and you, when you run into that, it's hard to lean into that versus step away from it or find something to ease that pain. Right. And, and where I'm going with that is, and it's not circumventing your question, but the, but when you think about, those organizations out there that put together or, 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 or less getting to the truth in an interview process, mm -hmm. right? Because that's a tough thing to do because everybody's on, I, we say this to clients all the time. Like if you don't like how they're behaving now, you're probably not going to like how they're behaving when you're working there because they're on their best behavior right now. Everybody should in right. theory be on their best behavior in the interview process. So if there's something breaking right. down, you know, lean in, get curious about that. Um, <clears throat> but, but moreover, it's just kind of watching yourself that you're not getting drawn in by the money alone or, mm -hmm. or here, here's a, here's a, to me, what is a real powerful distinction? You'll hear people say, and, and you'll hear other people say this about themselves, or you'll hear um, other people say this to them, you know, I wouldn't put up with X, but they pay me really well. And when, and for me, when you really unpack that, what you are saying is that you are willing to sacrifice something that on some level is important to you in exchange for money. And I'm not here to judge. That's, that's okay. Be honest with yourself though. Be honest right. that you'll allow somebody to cross boundaries and not, and you don't maintain boundaries. And you say, this boundary is important to me. Maybe the boundary is respect. Maybe the boundary is time. Maybe the boundary is whatever that boundary is. But if they write a big enough check, I'm okay with it. And there's a deeper story you're telling yourself as well with that, which is there is a price at which these things that I say are important to me can be bought. And again, 
if that's, if you're cool with that, just be honest with yourself about it, but don't dress it up as something that it's, that it's not. And that's, and that's where, when we're not honest with ourselves and we don't love ourselves enough to be able to set those boundaries and, and they're hard. I I'm guilty of this all the time, like not holding a boundary that I say is important to me. And then it comes back to your, it's not them doing something to you. You allowed them to do it because there's that victim mentality that can immediately rear up, which is, Oh my God, my company sucks. My, well, Hey man, (laughs) you you weren't forced to take that offer. It's that, and that that yet another example of the extreme ownership. Like you, you need, you got to own your shit that you are where you are because of the decisions that you made. So the question isn't anything other than how could I make better decisions? How can I draw better boundaries? What can I do to ensure this doesn't happen again? And really, and really own that. When I think it's fascinating and, and it brings up a very interesting point. It's of course, like one of the first things that popped to my mind, I don't know why, um, maybe it's because everyone in 2020 needs a very long vacation, but with things like vacation, you know, <laughs> when you're, when, when you're out there and you're looking for opportunities, that's often one of the big sort of chunks that people are talking about when it comes to the world of perks, right? What do you pay me? What are some of those, the primary fringe benefits? What's, what's my medical dental vision, my retirement percentage? Is there a sign on bonus, uh, stake in the company vacation? And it's very interesting that you make that, that you have that commentary, um, let's say someone is very much, uh, you know, family focused, or I, I love to go places with my family or friends or, or whatever it is. Um, but perhaps this particular job pays really well and only offers two weeks, maybe something else pays a little bit less or significantly less, but offers four or six, or I know that more and more companies are, are exploring unlimited PTO. Uh, but it's very interesting to apply that thought process, not just to a salary, but also some of these side things where um, you can start to expand a little bit more and, and kind of play in, as you were saying, what you're allowing to happen. So if you, if you have strong family beliefs and you really value those weekends and that time off, but you take a job that only has a very, that has a very small, you say time off policy. It's very interesting what message that communicates. Yeah. Why well, it so it, it's interesting. I was I I had again this this conversation this weekend with a friend of mine who's a pilot and um, works for a works for a large organization. They have a set of you know private aircraft for executives, and mm-hmm. and he flies those aircraft. Um, and you know has also been because of, in in light of COVID, right? They're not taking as many flights, so he's been doing mm-hmm. some. Um, some more of like the, I'll just say like the net jet or private charters individuals who are looking mm-hmm. or just looking for somebody to, to fly it. And we were talking about that. And he said, you know, what's interesting is if, um, if I were to go to like a, a FedEx or a UPS um, in particular, that I would have set hours, like you're, here's, here's when you're flying and when you're off, you're off. He said, right now when I'm off, I'm still on call. So, you know, I, I can still get a text. I can get a night. He said, so I said, so you're never really off. He goes, yeah, I'm never really off. I said, just think. And I said, I don't, you know, I don't need to get him to think about this because he loves this, but the difference between always having, knowing that you can get a call at any time of day or night. And yes, you have your time off when it's not planned on the calendar, but how do you really disconnect? How do you, mm-hmm. what's your reaction? I, I go back to when I, when I was in the army, we had beepers, right? So this is going way back. And I remember, <laughs> and I, and I remember too, not just the use of the beeper, but on the weekend, knowing when I was, particularly when I was an executive officer, I was second in command of a, of a company, the phone would ring on the weekend and just that feeling as soon as the phone would ring and then, you know, you pick up the phone and ah, it's your mom or it's a friend who's calling versus it's the charge of quarters desk calling because uh, it's stupid or whatever. And now your Saturday, your Saturday's ruined. And my relationship with the phone on the weekends was just like, because I can't ignore it. 
I've, I've got to pick it up. Right. I have to do it. I can't, you know, you can play that game if we're all being honest or anybody who can relate to that. You can play that game of like ignoring the phone a couple of times, but you, but you can't, you, you, you can't get away from it. And those days where I'm quote off, you're never really off. So how do you, how do you relax? And, you know, fortunately for me, like my, my love of what I did compensated for that. But, mm-hmm. you know, you look at that in, in any role that you're taking. And again, I, at least this is my experience that, or, or for me personally, purpose is such a huge driver that I, I, I can't see a world in which it is sustainable to exchange money for purpose. And, and I've tried it before and it works for a little while and then it starts to fall apart or it's or professionally, it looks like it's working, but it's showing up personally. And that to me is just not sustainable. So, you know, you come full circle on all this. I think it's having a very clear vision on what you want your life to look like. And then being, and, and the next step to this is, you know, if you, whether it's, spouse, partner, whatever in your, whoever in, in your life, those people who are in your inner circle, making sure that you're on the same page about that as well and pointed in the same direction and very candid about what's working, what's not working. Because I mean, there's no shit. You, you, you would not have a hard time finding many entrepreneurs whose relationships have fallen apart because of their obsession with the business versus um, being able to balance that out and, and for me, like part of this is being able to have that flexibility, mm-hmm. and that freedom to work from wherever and be able to spend time and exercise when I'm going to work, which sometimes I've got control over and other times I don't. I get that. Sure. Um, to be able to spend time with the family and then to be able to afford that for people on the team as well. And I'm glad you brought up the part about the team. Um, because going back to your, your days in the army, uh, as an XO, um, and that, that, and that pilot, your pilot friend, the inability to turn off. So it sounds as though you were able to take some of those lessons and apply it to your current workplace with your current team to allow them that autonomy to really be able to unplug. Yeah. And that, and, and that's a, that's a tough thing. Let's, let's look at COVID and the stay at home order. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a team member I, I know, cause we, we've had this conversation who really had to take a hard look at how they were showing up with their family because they weren't unplugging at all. They, they could get zero alone time, zero alone time. And then having a, and you, and you think about this, this is now a conversation that in most organizations would be like, well, that's their personal life. And that's not my lane. And it's like, Hey, I'm just saying this to you as a friend, cause I love you. You got to fix that. You, you need to address that because that that's, that's tearing you up. Put it, put aside work. Like I'm not even concerned about work right now. It's a, it's a no brainer to me that that's going to show up here because it's going to show up everywhere. Sure. everywhere. You can't compartmentalize those things. It's going to, it's going to break down at some point. So I'm just saying this to you because I love you enough that I don't want to see that. I don't want that for you. And I don't think you want that. And this is to me. This has been one of the interesting things with COVID. I, I was fortunate enough to go through this this you know class that somebody held on on change theory and the three phases of change, going you know from chaos to acceptance to the new normal. And the, and the language of new normal has been used um, inappropriately <laughs> since the beginning <laughs> of this entire thing because we're we're not we're not even in the new normal. But <clears throat> the bigger right. thing, that's really interesting to watch is and and I've seen this because I can go a really long time on adrenaline. And mm-hmm. that the, the misperception that when you're operating on adrenaline because you can thrive in chaos does not mean, first of all, it doesn't mean that everybody else that you're working with can do that. Uh, but, it's, but it's also, it's not, it's not sustainable because right. it, it is going to crash at some point. And my, my, I won't even say limited experience, my vast experience with operating in that is that it crashes and you don't see it coming. It just does. So being able to adjust and say, all right, this is where we were. We're not quite sure where we're heading, but right now, how do we set ourselves up? Not just to survive, but to be positioned to thrive. 
And, and even if you can't see what thriving looks like, to pay attention to your own energy level on how you're showing up and what feeds that. And it's, you know, it's like they say in the airlines, right? Put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And that is not selfish as a leader. It's not selfish as a partner, as a spouse, as a, as a parent to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Cause if you don't do that, you can't serve anyone. You, you also right. can't, serve, you can't serve yourself. So if you can't do that first, right. you know, um, everything else. Well, is that gonna... mentality. Yeah. And, and that, and it trickles down. Uh, you know, when, when we're, when we got together to discuss culture and, and perks, you know, the, 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 our conversations can go a bunch of different directions. Right. Case in it point, did. you know, one of the very first times, <laughs> one of the very first times that we spoke. Uh, but to your point specifically about this, it, I think all too often that entrepreneurs, executive leaders, anyone within an organization that has a role in building a culture and understanding benefits and perks, if you will, they just think of it as kind of a big pool, right? People just go out there and dab, uh, grab what they need, when they need it, this, that, or the other. And, and it's, I almost think of it more as like a two-way ladder. And if the people at the top aren't able to capitalize on that culture and that perks, being able to unplug have clear understandings of what they want, what their priorities are, what recharges them. That starts to trickle down. And then other employees, other members of your team won't necessarily take advantage of it because they see that the boss doesn't do it. And then on the flip side, the people at the bottom still need to be taking advantage of these things and reminding those above them that this is okay. And it becomes a two-way, uh, you know, two-way ladder to, to allow the you know, organizations to operate at the, the right harmony and the right balance, because to your point, I've seen it, I've experienced it myself. When that burnout comes, it comes and uh, it hits you like a ton of bricks. You never see it coming. And then at that point, your personal life or someone's personal life is thrust into an organization's purview because that's now impacting what you do at the office. Yeah. Well, I mean, think, think about, it. I, I, I think back to some consulting I did years ago for Freddie Mac when I was living in DC and amazing campus, um, these, these dining rooms that, um, and, and we'll just call them cafeterias, but, but the, mm-hmm. the food was amazing. There's on-site that time. I know there was on-site, uh, dry cleaning. I can't remember if there was on-site daycare as well, but all those things are there so that all the distractions are removed. So like, why would you go, why would you take an extra 30 minutes to go off campus into Tyson's corner or into McLean to have lunch somewhere when you could have lunch right there? I know that, by the way, have lunch with your coworkers. So still also be being productive, right? All these things mm-hmm. weren't necessarily like, Oh my God, it's so amazing. Have you seen the, I mean, I, I was, I was there doing some executive recruiting and like selling that stuff was really easy, but I'm looking at it going, well, this is, this is just a matter squeezing as much as they can out of you for the eight, 10, 12 right. hours a day that you're, that you're going to be here. Um, I personally am a big fan of, and I've been wrecked. Oh, I should have looked this up before we, we started this. Um, the, the two women who've started the, the company, well, it didn't start it. It's been around for a while called row results only work environment. Right. So really back working backwards from what is the outcome and what's the driver that you want each individual to be responsible for their lane, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, I don't care where you do it from um, to the extent that you cannot be concerned about when they do it. I, I mean, I think about our coaches and, and they've got windows of time that they're managing to meet with their clients. But the only thing I care about is if they've got these windows that don't accommodate clients, but that conversations never come up. Never. So I don't need to get in there to tell anybody how to suck the egg or be like, here's the, <laughs> here, here, are your, right here are your lanes. It's, it's giving them the autonomy to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that the more you can do that and be very clear on, you also think about who you attract. You're, you're not attracting someone who wants to be overly managed. You've got somebody who's going to drive things back up to you. You've got, you've just Mm -hmm. in really getting it comes full circle on, on, on benefits or perks. 
how do those things support attracting right person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and really who you're looking for and and culturally who's a fit for you and not they're a fit because they love the perks, but they're a fit and those perks are important and and support them being able to do the thing that is most important to them. And because I because I I believe very simply that what people really want is they want more autonomy and they'd like more money, right? And sometimes they would give up money for autonomy and flexibility and freedom. So um, right, when I go back to the military and I think about like whenever we weren't deployed, every Friday was backwards planned from happy hour at the officer's club and you had to be there. And we referred to it, we joked about it. We referred to it as mandatory fun. So mandatory fun was you, you, you will be there. <laughs> and most of the time, like your spouse was not required to be there, but hey, why aren't they here? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they were looked at with a suspect eye, right? Like, but it was you, you will be here and you will enjoy yourself. Um, and, and I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. This is, it's not a fair statement. I was going to say, I, I, I think there's still some leftovers of that in, in organizations out there. I'm, I'm sure there are. Um, I don't, I don't know to what extent they are, but to me, that's, that's some archaic thinking. It really is. Um, you, you can't, you, you can't force that level of, of meshing, but you can provide opportunities for it to happen. <laughs> 100%, 100% and letting people move towards that. And if the, if bonding is important to you in terms of your company, which I, which I think it should be, um, I think those, the, you can set the conditions where those things happen relatively naturally. Recognizing Absolutely. too that introvert, extrovert, all that, you know, wherever somebody is and wherever they get their energy from, some people are going to gravitate towards it more than more than others. Myself, I'm an introvert, right? So I even think about when we, it's funny, every time, and, and it's been a while in light of COVID, but every time we'd have a, have a retreat for the company and we get everybody together, um, we did several of them here in St. Pete. Uh, my business partner and I on the back end of it, you know, after two days of it would say, okay, the last day we're really going to buckle down and and we're going to do some planning, do some strategic planning. We're both introverts. So at the end of that, at the end of being on for two days, nonstop, we basically just sit around for that last day and be like, "Ah, all right. So um, we've stopped kidding ourselves. Uh, At least the last time around, we were like, let's not kid ourselves and everybody leaves. We're just going to decompress. But uh, to to that point about you know creating opportunities for people to bond and people to connect, I think also recognizing that not everyone can be on for extended periods of time, and it doesn't serve. How does that serve a team, and how does that serve cohesion when someone is there and it's like, man, what is up with Brian? Like, I mean, he he seems so energetic yesterday, but today he just does not seem like he wants to be here. Right. And then to put somebody in this place where they feel like they're being judged, it's difficult mm-hmm. for them to show up and, and just, you know, then this this requires taking time and understanding who your people are and what drives them and what's important to them. Absolutely. I think this is a good place for us to transition to our last piece of this segment. All right. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've talked about, we've talked a lot about, uh, we've had a great dialogue about the importance of culture, um, you know, where this new norm that's been used a little too much, yep. you know, what, what this is all shaping up, some of the role that certain perks uh, do begin to play. Um, but now I want to give you the opportunity to spotlight something very specific about career attraction, whatever it is. But what is that, what is that one perk that you feel like helps career attraction really stand out uh, amongst, you know, other organizations um, I think I might have an idea where you're going, but I'm curious to, uh, you know, to see what, uh, what exactly you put out there. Uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that if, if you are truly interested in, in personal development and getting deeper alignment and understanding of why you do the things you do and what behaviors you want to rip out and what do you want to replace to get you to where you want to go next this is a really good place to be because that is something that we obsess on not only with our clients, but with ourselves. Conversely, if that's, not, if that's, if that's not something you like, then you're.
people in place. Uh, okay. So we've talked about what spotlights you, what, what makes you stand apart. Uh, now I want to pivot to if, and, and this is your chance to, uh, to really throw it out there, but if money's no issue, money, time, uh, administration, there's no, nothing to stand in your way. What is, what is one thing, what is one perk you would put in place uh, today for your team at Career Attraction? Wow. Um, <clears throat> this is a difficult one to say because I don't, I don't know how to, 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 I'm not totally sure how to define it, but I know one of the things that's exceptionally important for me is the ability to be able to work from anywhere and mm-hmm. to go deep with everybody on the team and say, what is, you know, actually this is, I was going to, I was sitting here thinking, God, this is, this is kind of crazy because I'm, I'm defining it in terms of what's important to me, but to be able to go deep. And if money is no object, really figure out, is there, is there, what else could we do to help mm-hmm. you love what you do even better? What's, what is, what is one thing? And, and honestly, that's, hell, that's a question I can ask right now because money may not be a money issue. Um, I think it's a, I think that's a really powerful question to ask. That's a very powerful question. Uh, and I think it's one that, uh, that not many people spend much time, uh, you know, much time thinking about. Yeah. It, you know, having the opportunity to have a little bit of alone time and quiet time and really take stock of what is important to me and where do I want my life to be? You know, and that's something you'd alluded to a few times during our conversation. What direction do I want to go? Where do I, what, what is that end point uh, or that guiding light? That's really big. So having the, I think it'd be really interesting to, to receive your team's take on that kind of a, a potential perk when it comes yeah, into sure. place. 100%. Yeah. Well, Kevin, we are at the end of our time. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. I hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us as well. Uh, This has been a fantastic conversation and it's really been eye opening. Um, And, you know, of course, we'll be including information on how anyone who's interested can at least reach out and get in contact with your team to figure out uh, if, uh, if it might make sense for them to work with you. So I'd like to say thank you and uh, look forward to doing this again in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, thanks, my friend. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed listening to our interview. I certainly enjoyed the conversation with Kevin. Now, if you're interested in connecting with Kevin, you can find him on LinkedIn, Kevin Kerms, K-E-R-M-E-S, or visit careerattraction.com spelled just like it sounds. As always, thank you for sharing your time with me. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And of course, please take some time to review the podcast. All ratings and feedback is greatly appreciated. Until next week, take care.